0: Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is a former Kansas Cityan, Jeannie Johnson. She currently is America's Azure strategist in the Global Black Belt Organization at Microsoft, focused on Azure. She has a lifetime of experience in the technology industry, which she's going to tell you more about. She helps companies save money, make money, reduce risk, and gain competitive advantage by digitally transforming their businesses. Before she joined Microsoft, Jeannie started up, rapidly grew, and profitably sold several technology companies in the United States. Her companies were known for one, their early adoption of disruptive t- not technologies, and two, and this is very interesting, non-traditional partnering with her competitors to build greater success. Jeannie lives on the beach in Washington State. She's recently been recognized for her work in tsunami preparedness, and she is the proud mother of three adult children. When she has time, she rides a Harley Davidson, and she enjoys cooking, gardening, and creating art. Welcome to the show today, Jeannie. Good morning. Thanks, Kelly. So let's talk about that background that you have in IT. How did you even land in that industry?
1: It started in 1974 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I was a student at a school called the Julia R. Masterman Laboratory and Demonstration School. It was a school that focused on technology and science. You had to audition to get in. It was a public school. And I attended the Masterman School from the fifth grade through the seventh grade. And during my seventh grade year, we had a class uh, where we touched a machine that was working on the ARPANET node. And so the ARPANET was the precursor to the Internet, and we were communicating with Stanford professors over a teletype console. We had no idea what it was, but it was very cool. And I can remember feeling, wow, you know, this, you know, this will allow me to talk to anybody in the whole wide world. And it was really fun, and I really loved it. Shortly after that, after, you know, moving with a military family, we ended up in New Orleans, Louisiana, and we got a Commodore 64, and I was probably 16 years old. And and we had a game called Zork, which was a, a, a text game that was a puzzle, and you had to guess clues and then try to solve the game, it was very difficult, super hard. My dad, who was an officer in the Navy, really kind of struggled with it. And uh, I helped, and, and I just remember how exciting it was and what kind of adrenaline rush I got when I solve a clue. And then, uh, you know, in the 80s, I'm living in Kansas on a farm, um, raising my family, and I bought an IBM Aptiva with four mega RAM, and I had no support for the service and and function of that computer. So I had to learn to take it apart, put it back together again, make it work, clean the cache, figure out the BIOS, figure out uh, DOS. And I just read a lot of books, and I got myself up to speed. I I married at 18 and didn't go to college, so I am self-taught. Jump jump ahead to Microsoft. That's a big gap. So how do you get from loving, loving computers and learning about computers to working at the Microsoft Corporation, it's a long tale that I won't um, fill you in on all the details, but I always pressed it at night. Uh, and I always learned, and I always read, and I always dug in, and I just loved it so much. And then in 2001, when the attack on the World Trade Center happened, I was realigning my priorities. I was working in Kansas City and living in Lynn County, 60 miles south of Kansas City. And I felt like, gosh, I don't want to be in the office late when my kids are home. If I could work from home securely, I think everybody else would want to do that too. So you could go home, spend time with your family, have your dinner, you know, do the homework, and then log back on later and do email and work. And, you know, back in 2001, we didn't have a whole lot of options for that. But I I discovered... um, a couple of options at a company called Citrix Systems that allowed for the remote access of servers. And I just felt like I was just, I just was convinced that if people had a chance to do this, they would do this. And if I could make sure that it was secure for the company and there would be no risk of loss of intellectual property or customer lists and so on, that we could make that work. So I sold my house and I started a company to do that. And uh, gosh, it was the right time, the right idea, And, uh, you know, here I am 16 years
0: later, and that is the story. Yeah, the rest is history, and you're creating more history. You mentioned that you're self-taught and that you just absorbed everything and that you learned a lot. I know that one of the things that you talk about often is being the only woman in the room, you started a tech company back in the early 2000s when there weren't a lot of women doing that. I mean, even today, now Kansas City is an exception, but uh, even today, there are a lot of women who, for various reasons, uh, are not involved in that industry. You have learned a lot. Talk to us about some of the key things that you have learned and that you could pass on to our listeners who are female, who are working in the tech industry, may have aspirations for it, and some of their male counterparts who really would like to know what they can do to um, help, help that effort. Well, and it isn't just about helping women step into
1: technology. It's about creating diversity of thought yes. so you have the best idea for the program or the project or the initiative or the company. We need brains from lots of different places with lots of different experiences and lots of different ways of processing. And I do a TED Talk about the difference between left brain and right brain and how you can see if a person is left brain or right brain based on their finger length on their hand. And I have what is considered a typically male configuration brain. I'm left brain dominant, which means that I'm spatial relational thinker i can back a trailer without which thinking about which way to turn the wheel i don't i'm not super emotional i make people cry and i don't know why i don't know why um, and so um, you know if you take a collection of of experienced people they you know they have uh lower associative barriers in other words They might take an idea from something in their past and apply it to the problem that you're facing now. And because you don't have that same experience, it's a new idea to you. And, you know, it's been proven that companies uh, report 40% greater growth, greater profit when they have diversity of thought that includes minorities and women. So if you are the only woman in the room, and and I was, and listen, in Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, it's kind of tough to start in a technology industry. It has been and it continues to be. And you have to get clear on what you're trying to accomplish. If you're just trying to stamp your feet and say, gosh, girls are smart too, that's not going to work so well for the issue that you're trying to solve. But if you take your diverse background and you take your different way of thinking and you apply it to the problem, you know you may come up with something that the rest of the folks in the room don't come up with. And that's the whole point of diversity of thought and inclusion. And so as a woman who tried to start this in the the early 2000s, I ran into a lot of um, pressure from uh, buyers and um, directors who were not accustomed to dealing with a female voice or female um, interaction in a meeting unless they had been support personnel in some way. And, you know, honestly, I cheated in the early days. We just sent men out to talk because we needed to accomplish the goals of the company. And, you know, it wasn't important to me that they recognized that we were woman-owned. It was important to me that we solved the problem for the customer and get the revenue and move on and hire more people. And so I was dealing with the business issues. And I, you know, listen, nobody's got a bigger ego than I do, but you've got to check that at the door if you're trying to get something done. And then, you know, today, there's a theory that, that brainstorming includes interruption and it's okay. Yeah. Well, what we see is that often female voices are interrupted more than male voices, not just by males, but by females as well. Okay. Part of that is because, you know, typically and historically males who speak louder and more frequently are seen as um, uh, assertive and and uh, a go-getter and, you know, uh, really capable. But a woman who does the same behavior is seen as, you know, um, less, less than that.
0: <laughs> and I won't
1: use any words
0: on the radio. We all shooting. know that. You don't have to. Yeah. We do.
1: We know it. And, and, you know, Harvard Business School has done reviews. Columbia School of Business has done tests uh, where they've done a double blind and simply they changed the name from Howard to Heidi. Same exact words, and, and, and folks who read the, the case studies say, gosh, I'd like to work for Howard, and gosh, Heidi seems like a real, you know, witch. And, um, and it's the same exact behavior. So we're, we're coming along, you know, the world is changing, and, and it's getting easier. Um, but there are some things that you can actively do. You can make a rule that says no interruptions, period. And that means that brainstorming has to change to conversation. And it's excellent, and it's hard to, at first for everyone but it's, it's certainly worth it. You can also support those people who are being interrupted by saying leaning forward and saying, I'd really like to hear more about what you just said. Encourage them and draw it out, whether they're male or female, whether they're um, a minority or not. It's time for everybody's voice to be heard at the table.
0: Okay, so listen, listen, and, and have, a, have a conversation with people rather than just trying to figure out what you're going to say next.
1: And that's the key, Kelly, active listening. You know, we, um, we try to show ourselves as smart, so as someone is speaking, we try to think about what we're going to say to that, to either pile on or, or question, and, and I think that if we could just take a deep breath and actively listen and stay present in the conversation rather than jump ahead to what we might say to show ourselves as brilliant, we could probably get a lot more done in a shorter period of time.
0: So true, yeah. And, and another thing that you, I've heard you talk about before, and you even referenced it very briefly a few minutes ago, and that is getting clear on your intentions. You said it a little bit differently earlier, but can you expand on that a little bit? Right. So,
1: you know, when you enter into a meeting, um, a challenge, a problem, the intention is to solve the problem or to at least come up with ideas that might solve However, if you have an intention to show that you're smart, that you're capable, that you're worth listening to, you may be sidetracking yourself for the issue. And again, we're all going to be evaluated on our performance for solving. However, (laughs) you still have to show yourself as a capable, you know, person, you know, worthy of the payment that you're receiving as, as compensation and also consideration for advancement and so on. I'm seeing a change in our tech in- industry where you know, staying present is easier. That's just my experience on the West Coast. I'm not sure it's true everywhere. Uh, as I travel around the United States or Canada, I do see that um, staying clear on the intention is, is improved by restating the mission or the vision of the meeting, especially if you're about to say something controversial or that will create tension in the meeting.
0: Yeah. I Can you think, give, give us an example yeah. of that? Because that's a very important point.
1: Right. So let's say the conversation in the meeting is going along a track that I disagree with. And I'm a forceful woman. I have... Um, a face that <laughs> that has a downturned mouth if I'm not smiling, so people think I'm angry when I'm not. And, um, and so I know that if I speak very forcefully and say, hold on, that doesn't seem, that doesn't seem right, can we just go back and, you know, now I'm uh, throwing water on a whole lot of people's enthusiasm, and they will shut down, back up, lean back, cross their arms, and we get nothing done in the meeting. Right. So I have, you know, I've learned over 35 years, it's taken me probably 33 of those years to, you know, before I open my mouth and say I don't don't agree, is to say, for the purposes of transparency or, um, you know, revisiting the mission here, our goal is to figure out how to deliver this kind of technology in this kind of way to this kind of group and to that End. wouldn't it make more sense, or I wonder if it might make more sense? I, I try to use wonder. And, and Mary lore has a book called Managing Thought. And the one takeaway I took out of that book was the word wonder. It is so much easier to say what you need to say if you preface it with I wonder instead of I think from a woman's perspective. Now, maybe it's an artifice and a trick works for me. So if it works yeah. for you, I I, I'm happy to
0: give it to you. Great. But yeah, and, and no, it's, it's good, and I can see the, the change is that little bit semantic shift. Uh, I, I want also I, be super, super, super yeah. clear, though,
1: Kelly. We we don't want to minimize our, our conversation. We don't want to say, oh, you probably thought of this already, but what if we did that? Or, gosh, you guys, I, I, I don't know if this is a great idea, but stop minimizing your thoughts and conversation. Don't apologize for being on the planet or in that room. Own it. But let's try to get the, the goal accomplished, and that's why we're there.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, another thing that you've talked about, because, you know, I've known, I've known you for years, and I've heard you speak before and so forth, but um, everything's a choice. You, you do talk yeah. about that. Tell, tell us how yeah. that applies to what we're talking about today. You know,
1: this, I guess, relates to kind of figuring out that your life is your life, and not, you are not the whipping end of someone else's whip. So if you choose not to choose, that's a choice you make, too. Mm -hmm. And once you um, internalize that all the things that you're doing in your life um, are are associated with your choice, I think you become empowered in a way that changes your attitude, changes your demeanor, gives you confidence, you know, and our lives are a series of choices we make or fail to make and allow others to make for us. And... Mm -hmm. Um, once I internalize that all these are my choices, I, gosh, everything kind of brightened in my life. And I, I hope it does for others if they make that yeah. decision. Yeah.
0: A lot of personal responsibility there. So, yes. Yeah, ac- accepting, accepting your role in, in where you are right now is, is huge. Um, another thing that you make a distinction between that's also very important, is instinct versus intuition. Some people would say, "Does sound like the same thing, but they're not. Right.
1: Uh, you know, I felt the same way when I first started to evaluate this concept. Instinct is a physical reaction, according to science. So fight or flight, for example. You see a snake, you have an instinctual reaction. Uh, and intuition is kind of a forward-looking thing. I, I feel like this might happen. I, I have a sense that it can go this way. And, you know, depending upon the brain you have, uh, and the brain configuration that is most associated with females is we have a high right brain dominance, most of us, not me, but probably you or others, um, we have a real gift for using what we've known in the past to intuit what might happen next. And, you know, it's, it's uh, it's a great gift when you go into um, technology or you go into financial services or you go into healthcare, and you can intuit what mo- what most likely might happen. And and uh, I use this in particular when I uh, when I owned companies for hiring and firing. You know, uh, there's a sort of a controversial conversation that has gone on for a series of decades: is whether you hire on gut or you fire on gut versus hiring on process or firing on process. And when I started my companies, everybody said hire on gut and fire on process because you don't want to get sued. You need to go through the process of giving them the three write-ups and so on. And I tried that for the first few experiments, and it didn't go super well. Um, So I instead flipped it, and I hired on process which made me be a lot more thorough in checking folks out. And then I fired on gut. In other words, I didn't let it go too long and poison the well where the rest of the employees were. Um, Still followed the processes that we needed to do. I just went a lot faster. And it worked out really well.
0: Exactly. And you know what? I bet, I I, I would bet that by following the process on the front end, you had a lot fewer of the back end uh, need to fire. Surprise. Yes, indeed. (laughs)
1: Which, you know, you, you, so, yeah, it's a chicken-egg thing, right? If you do the due diligence at the front end, you have a lot less that you've got to do at the back end.
0: Exactly. Um, one of my all-time favorite things to listen to you talk about is um, conviction and how it can be blinding, uh, especially yeah. in the kinds of settings that you have been in Um uh, I mean, you do have convictions, especially about the topic you're talking about, you know, women in, in, in the workforce, women in tech. I mean, that's a conviction. Uh, you know, you're, you have convictions about that, but it can be blinding, too. So tell us about yeah. that. And it's kind of controversial,
1: but the example that I'll use is racism. You know, last few months we've had a lot of uh, controversy in the United States about the NFL players taking a knee during the national anthem. And no matter your politics, you probably have a conviction about that. You have a deeply held belief one way or the other. And I have always believed and I hold tight the belief that I'm not racist. I've always believed that. I am, I am not opposed to people of, of, of other races, marrying, uh, holding jobs, uh, anything. And, and I was raised all over the United States. My dad was in the Navy. We moved. I was the only white girl once in class. And so I have been a minority, and I've always just had this conviction that I am not racist, and that is enough. But what I found out during this NFL controversy is that I'm not anti-racist, and that the the conviction I was holding wasn't enough, honestly. That, yeah, right, I never did anything bad to people of color, but when someone I knew did or someone I met did, I never said, hey, come on. Dude, that's unacceptable, because I was afraid to rock the boat. I was afraid, and that was because I was hiding, holding that conviction so tight that I thought I was doing enough. And I found out I wasn't, and I changed, changed my life, changed my attitude, and I think that it's going to be better for me and those in my circle of influence, and, I, and hopefully it'll spread.
0: Yeah, to call others out on that when you see that kind of thing happening. It's not enough just to believe it. You have to act it, too. uh, No, I I, I just love your message there. Uh, Finding comfort in the unknown. Man, you have had to do that many times over, Jeannie. What have you learned from that?
1: You know, when you are stumbling in the dark, there are some things that are consistently good to do. You know, orient yourself. Leave, leave, a, leave a path or crumbs or breadcrumbs so you can find your way back. You know, if we were just you and I out in the woods and we were trying to figure out how to get through the woods, we, we would be open to all the different paths that we could take. I try to use that sense as I'm moving into a, a, a new domain or a new concept of, of thought and uh, recently changed roles at, at Microsoft, and I'm I'm I've I've been in the worldwide group, and now I'm back um, in the U.S. and Canada and Latam group, and and that's super technical, and boy, it it's uncomfortable for me to have to come back up to speed again. I know I can. I always have been able to do. I have faith that I can find the way. So what I've got to do is, you know, you hear people say lean into discomfort, but what I think I think works for me is to find comfort in not knowing, especially in in failing fast and failing forward. You know, Einstein failed I don't know how many times in trying to come up with his solutions. And each failure means you're that much closer to the solution. And you've just got to have confidence that you're going to find a way, but you don't have to do it alone. You know, you can find comfort in the unknown and share that discomfort with others, and then you become more comfortable because you have a. Uh, a group of peers uh, that are going to go with with you into the unknown. And where we are right now in technology, my gosh, with artificial intelligence and bots and deep neural networks, quantum computing language, AI, I mean, that's that's living as a citizen in Saudi Arabia, this this is an amazing time in technology, and of course it's unknown. And that means that it's a brave new frontier just waiting for us. And I I, want to focus back on the first computers in the NASA program. They were females of color. And if you've seen the movie Hidden Figures, you know the story. Um, Gosh, there's a place for everyone in technology, and and, uh, there's a lot of good to be done.
0: Yeah, it, it it is a great story. If you haven't read about it, if you haven't seen it, go do it. It is, it is absolutely fascinating, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jeannie. As we close up here today, if you could give just one piece of advice to our listeners that they could just go do immediately in their businesses, uh, what would it be, you know, in order to open up that diversity of thought that you talked about, in order to be more inclusive, what would it be? What one thing could they go implement right now?
1: Well, I think first you got to know about yourself a little bit more before you can just create something new to do. And and I found uh, a lot of um, a lot of information about myself when I took the unconscious bias test. And there's an unconscious bias test online. You can go and and search it in your favorite search engine. And this test has been taken by over a million people. And you want to get clear on who you are and how you are. And so you take the unconscious bias test about gender and you take the unconscious bias test about race. Once you know whether you have a bias, you can address that in your life. And then I would also implement a no interruption rule in meetings and see where that takes you. I think it's going to be great.
0: It's been great talking to you today, Jeannie. Uh, it always is. And uh, just thank you for all that you do, for the messages that you carry and that you're not afraid to carry. Uh, we, we appreciate that. I appreciate that. Uh, very wise woman. Thank you very much today for your time.
1: Thanks, Kelly, and thanks, Kansas City.
0: And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at iThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.